first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, is a book about beginnings. The word Genesis really means origins or beginning. In the book of Genesis, we find the beginning of many things, such as the beginning of space, time, and matter, the beginning of Israel, the beginning of nations. We have the beginning of languages, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of death and suffering. We also see the first promise of a Savior. And the book of Genesis is the book that starts our biblical worldview. But is Genesis just about beginnings, or is there more to this book? Well, I want to welcome you to Creation Training Radio and TV. My name is Mike Riddle, and I'm your host here and the president and founder of Creation Training Initiative, where our vision is to have a teacher in every Christian school in this country who can teach both biblical creation and biblical apologetics. Well, our topic today is called Genesis and End Times, a very controversial topic here. Understanding the book of Genesis and how it relates to both the gospel and the book of Revelation. Well, this is going to be such a big topic, it will take two sessions to do. And our topics will be, we're going to cover five different areas. Number one will be the book of Revelation in five minutes. Topic two, tools for understanding numbers in the Bible. Topic three, tools for understanding language. Number four, an incredible beginning, and number five, an incredible ending. And in this first session, we're going to cover the first two topics, the book of Revelation in five minutes and tools for understanding numbers in the Bible. And we're going to use a theme throughout these talks. And the theme will be this, paradise created, paradise lost, paradise restored, and it all points to Jesus Christ. And incidentally, that is a theme of the entire Bible. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. Well, let's get started with part one, the book of Revelation in five minutes. So hold on to your seat as we go through the entire book in just five minutes or less. And we'll begin in Revelation chapter one, verse one, where it states, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. We'll notice something there in this first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What that means is this book, the last book of the Bible, is about Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, where it states, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. We'll notice the words here, things which have seen, which you have seen. We're talking about past events. Then it says, things which are, we're talking about present event. Things which will take place, we're talking about future events. So the book of Revelation is about the past, present, and future. Now we'll go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, where it states, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So there in verse, chapter 4, verse 11, is talking about our Creator and why we should give Him glory and honor. And that states again, because He, Jesus Christ, is the Creator. Then Revelation 19, verse 6, we see God is in control of all things. And we read, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. God is in control. 
Then we turn to Revelation chapter 20, verses 9 through 10, and we see our hope, victory. And it states, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see God is in control and we are victorious. Now in the book of Revelation, we also have letters to the churches. And we see the number seven used quite a bit here. We see seven churches, seven spirits, seven golden lampstands, seven stars. The book of Revelation is also about judgments. We see seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. Now the book of Revelation is also about war and conflict. We see Satan is thrown out of heaven. We see 144,000. We see mystery Babylon the Great, the fall of Babylon the Great, the return of Jesus, the beast is defeated. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Christ reigns for a thousand years, and Satan is finally crushed. The book of Revelation is also a book about restoration. We see a new heaven and a new earth. We see no more death, no more pain or no more tears. All things are made new. No more curse and the tree of life we have again. So the book of Revelation is about warnings. It is about great worship. It is about great conflict. It is about judgment. It is about the final defeat of Satan. And it is about restoration, the final consummation, all things being made new. So there you have it, the book of Revelation in less than five minutes. Now, how are we to understand all of this? Well, let me give you a little test. How should we interpret Scripture? Well, let me give you five choices here. Number one, opinions. Number two, commentaries. Number three, Scripture. Number four, consensus. Or number five, science. So those are our five choices. Opinions, commentaries, Scripture, consensus, or science. Which one will help us best interpret Scripture? Well, I say it is number three, Scripture itself. Folks, opinions don't matter here. Everybody has a different opinion, and their opinions may change. God's Word does not change. Commentaries. Do you know commentaries are not the inspired Word of God, and they can be wrong? Or how about consensus? Whatever most people believe, that's what the Scripture will say. Well, that tends to change also but God's Word remains unchanged. Or what about science? Is that the way we should interpret Scripture? I dare say no to that. Why? Because our understanding and interpretation of the scientific evidence is constantly changing, but God's Word is unchanging. So the best way to interpret Scripture is the plain reading that God gave it to us in His book. So now let's go to part two of our study. Understanding numbers in the Bible. Do they have a real meaning or they should be taken figuratively? Well, the book of Revelation has a lot of numbers in it. And this is one of the reasons we should learn our fractions in school because we see fractions used in the book of Revelation. For example, we see the number three and a half. We see many other numbers like four, seven, 
12, 24, and 42. We see some larger numbers in, such as 1,260, 12,000, 144,000, and 200 million. We also see ordinal numbers which are used to show positions such as 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. So we see numbers used throughout the book of Revelation. Now to understand how numbers are used in the Bible, including the book of Revelation, we really need to go back to the book of Genesis. So here's our first correlation, the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. How close are they really? Well, you know the entire Bible, including prophecies not yet to be not yet fulfilled, is the story of how God will fulfill the promise of Genesis 3:15, chapter 3 verse 15 which happens to be the first prophecy in the Bible. It is the prophecy of our Savior coming. We need a Savior. Now, it is the story of how paradise lost will become paradise restored. In other words, that's one of the things we see, the correlation between Genesis and the book of Revelation. Paradise is lost in the book of Genesis, but it is restored in the book of Revelation. So if we don't believe the history of the Bible, why should we believe the future history? If it says past history is true, we should believe the future. But if we don't trust the past, why would we trust the future? So let's start understanding numbers in time. To help us understand the importance of numbers in the Bible, again, we will begin in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, a number is used with the word day. That's where we first start seeing a number with the word day. Are these numbers to be taken literally or they just should be taken figuratively? First day, second day. Does the Bible even give us enough information to understand what these numbers or the word day really mean? And the answer to that, yes, it does. It gives us all the information we need to understand what these numbers mean and what the word day means. Again, we will not resort to our opinions or scientific evidence. Incidentally, the scientific evidence turns out to be our interpretation of the scientific evidence. Now, I'm not degrading science because science is good. Why? Because God created all the scientific principles. It's just when man abuses God's science, we can go wrong. Now, in Genesis, Chapter 1, we have a number used with the word day. First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. Is this significant? Well, yes it is. Well, let's do another test. I want to show you something about this. Let's do another test. What should we use to determine the length of the days of creation and what these numbers mean? Well, I'm going to give you two choices here. Choice number one is going to be called context scripture support, and language structure. So that's choice number one. Context, the word in its context, scripture support, and language structure. Choice number two is where we appeal to science, commentaries, and consensus. Well, if our answer is choice number two, which includes science, then we can conclude that the Bible is not your authority. You have placed something else higher in your life than God's Word. In other words, we have made man's wisdom more important than God's Word. And when, if this is true, when does the Bible become true to you? And who's make that, who makes that decision? 
In other words, who should we trust? God, who was there, the creator of all things, or men who were not there? You see, what is happening today is the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan's tactics. His best tactics were in the Garden of Eden. I call them the three Ds, deception, doubt, and denial. Satan deceived Eve. Oh, Eve, that's not what God really said. Let me tell you what he said. Then Eve harbored doubts about what God had told her. Then Adam and Eve denied the very word of God and fell into sin, and all creation became corrupted. Deception, doubt, and denial are Satan's greatest tools and tactics, and they continue to work today. So now let's turn back to the word day. What does all that mean, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day? Well, the, a number is used with the word day 410 times in the Old Testament, and it never means a long period of time. It always means a literal day. Let's take a look at some examples elsewhere in the Bible where a number is used with the word day. And we'll go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, where it reads, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now, does that seventh day mean a seventh long indefinite period of time, or does it mean a literal day? Well, the only logical explanation there is the word day has to mean a literal day, not a long period of time. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 13, verse 6, where it states, Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. Well, there again, the word day, in its context, has to mean a literal day. And we have a number of the word day again there. Let's go to Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, where it reads, Now it came to pass on the twentieth day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. Well, folks, if a day doesn't mean a literal day there, then what does a month and a year mean? See, the whole paragraph has no meaning when we start putting our opinions into God's Word. Let's do one more. Joshua chapter 9, verse 17. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Did they come into their cities on the third long indefinite period of time? No. The Bible clearly says on the third day, and it means third day. Nothing, nothing other than that. See, these are not hard to understand. When God uses a number of the word day, it means either a portion of a day or a literal 24-hour period, and never a long period of time. We should always let Scripture help us understand Scripture. Again, let's read some more. God gives us more evidence. He defines the days of creation, evening and morning first day, evening and morning second day, evening and morning third day. Everywhere in the Old Testament we see that phrase, it only means a day, never anything else. So we have a number with the word day, and the numbers are real here, and the word day means a literal day. Then in Exodus 20, verse 11, God is writing something down. He's writing down the Ten Commandments. Now, God is writing this down Himself. And what does He write down? For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, and sea, and all that is in them. He wrote down six days, and that number six literally means six, and the word day means a literal day. See, when a number is used in the Bible, it is meant to be taken literally 
unless there's something in the language that clearly indicates otherwise. So we see the numbers in Genesis chapter 1, first day, second day, third day, mean exactly what they say. And they're not there for just spiritual teaching, and they're not there for any other kind of interpretation. They have a real meaning. Well, let's look at some more numbers. Let's go to the book of Joshua. As the Israelites get ready to go to battle against the people in the city of Jericho, we read statements like this, seven trumpets, seven priests, second day, six days, seventh day, and seven times. Are all these numbers to be taken as figurative and not real? If so, did the city of Jericho even exist? Are we going to spiritualize the whole Bible? Well, folks, the city of Jericho did exist. They have found it. And guess what they found? The walls fell exactly as the Bible teaches. Those numbers in Joshua have real meaning, not spiritual meaning. If not real then, if they're not real in Genesis, if they're not real in Joshua, folks, and they're not real in the book of Exodus, then why did God put them in there? You see, when we start spiritualizing the Bible and not taking the history as real, we have a problem. We're losing confidence in God's Word. That's what's happening to this next generation because too many in the church and too many of our Christian university professors refuse to believe the Word of God. They're not taking it seriously. They're putting their wisdom above God's wisdom. And as a result, we're having 70% of our youth leave the church today because they're not being told the truth about God's Word. They're being told God could have used devolution. Numbers don't really mean what they say in the Bible. So why even use the Bible? And again, as a result, 70% of them are leaving the church. See, when we start playing games with God's Word and make it man's Word, it loses all its meaning, including the very gospel of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Satan wants us to do. This is the exact tactic Satan used in the Garden of Eden. Deception, doubt, and denial. It is working today in many of our churches, our church leaders, and in some of our Christian universities where they simply don't take God's word for what it means. Now, many sitting in church today are really in denial of God's word. They have been deceived again by Satan. But I want to tell you something about Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now, I'm going to bring this verse up because I've ran into too many pastors who don't want to talk about the book of Genesis. And let me read this verse and see what's happening in some of our churches. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 states this, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Know what it says there? All Scripture is God-breathed and it is all good for teaching. Why? So that we can be thoroughly equipped. There are many churches out there today where their leaders are not equipping their congregation. They're giving man's opinion over God's Word. See, God does not make mistakes, folks. He gave us His Word. And God knows how to communicate. Don't get caught up in those three Ds, deception, doubt, and denial. God gave us what He wanted us to know. He gave us what He wanted us to believe. He said six days, and He meant it. 
Now, let's go to some more numbers. Let's go to the account of the Genesis flood, and we'll read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 15. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Notice the numbers 350 and 30. What they're teaching here, what the Bible teaches, is that ark was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 40 feet high. Those dimensions happen to be the perfect dimensions for floating. Perfect ratio, length to width, 6 to 1. How did Noah know this? Well, folks, we have a God who knows all things. We have a God who knows how to communicate to us, and we need not change His Word. Well, let's take another example of numbers used in the Bible. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. And the Israelites are getting ready to leave the land of Egypt. And it states this, about 600,000 men on foot. What it's saying there is about 600,000 men, besides women and children, were leaving the land of Egypt, the Exodus. Now, notice the word about. We use that word quite a bit in our language today. For instance, we say it's about 2 o'clock. Now, we're not saying it's exactly 2 o'clock, but it's very close to 2 o'clock. Or we might use the phrase, I am about there. I'm almost there. Now, we're not saying we're exactly there, but we're very close. Now, notice the other words in Exodus 12, where it says about 600,000. Now, it doesn't mean exactly 600,000, but about 600,000. Do you know there's two places in the Bible where that number is actually added up? In Exodus 38 and Numbers chapter 1. We can add the numbers up there. And when you add up the numbers of the different tribes, it actually comes to 603,000. 550. That is exactly what the Bible teaches in Exodus, about 600,000. Folks, numbers in the Bible have very real meanings. Let's talk about some more numbers. We see numbers all throughout the Bible. We read about people in the Old Testament living to be hundreds of years old. For example, Adam lived to be 930 years old. Seth lived to be 912 years old. Enosh lived, lived to be 905 years old. Methuselah, the oldest person in the Bible, lived to be 969 years old. Noah lived to be 950 years old. Now, if a year doesn't mean a year here, then what does it mean? What does it mean elsewhere in the Bible if a year doesn't mean a year when it talks about these people living to though that many number of years old? You see, there's nothing in the text to indicate the year there means anything other than a year. People are constantly trying to discredit God's Word. And one of those areas happens to be in the genealogies when it talks about how old people live to be. Not too long ago, I was at a secular university. And I want to show you the contradiction in the world here. I was at a secular university giving a talk on creation. And when I got all done, I opened it up to questions and answers. And one of the people there threw a question at me, said, and he read from the Bible. He actually had a Bible and he read from it. And then he looked at me and said, you really believe people live to be this old? And my answer was, Yes, don't you? And that kind of surprised him. And his answer was, no. And I asked him, why not? And his answer was, because we've never observed people living to be that old. 
And then I had a question for him. Has anybody ever observed the origin of life? And he said, no. Then I asked him, then why do you believe the origin of life by naturalistic processes since it's never been observed? I caught him in his own contradiction. And see, evolutionists live with many of these contradictions. They will say, oh, the Bible, we never saw miracles. We never saw any of those things happen. But whoever observed evolution, whoever observed the origin of matter, the origin of the universe, whoever observed the origin of life, whoever observed the origin of dinosaurs, whoever observed one creature changing into another, whoever observed millions of years. You see, the evolutionists themselves are living with contradictions in their own worldview. Now, let me give you some places elsewhere in the Bible where we see the word year used. And we'll go to Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, and it states this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and the 17th day of the month. If a year doesn't mean a literal year here, then what does the word month and day mean? They have no meaning. Let's go to Exodus 23, verse 14, and it states, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. The year there means a literal year, not some figure of speech, not some spiritualization. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 24. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. The year means a year. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce. God is very specific here. A year means a year. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13. Into the 14th year of King Hezekiah, a year means a literal year. Why would the year mean anything else? Why would it not mean a year when it talks about people living to be hundreds of years old? See, there, again, there's nothing in the text there to indicate these years are not real years. Now, let's go to the book of Revelation. We have numbers used throughout that book. We have seven literal churches in Asia. Yes, there may have been more churches in Asia, but the Bible specifically talks about these seven literal churches. We have seven literal golden lampstands, seven literal stars, which are the angels of the seven churches. It says, I saw 24 elders. Notice John is saying he saw this. He's not making it up. We have the seven literal seals, the seven literal trumpets, the seven literal bowl judgments. We have the words 200 million. And John says, I heard the number. He's not making this up. We have 12,000 from the 12 tribes, giving us the 144,000. We have the phrase 1,000 years, and that is used six times in the book of Revelation. These numbers have real meaning and not written poetic or any other non-literal sense. John Davis, professor of Old Testament and Hebrew, makes this statement. All numbers of the Bible should be regarded as fundamentally dependable, and the interpreter should be hesitant to change the traditional text unless there is clear evidence of textual corruption. Well, so far in our session, Understanding the relationship between Genesis and Revelation, we have covered our first two topics, Revelation in five minutes and tools for understanding numbers. And we have seen numbers have real meanings. In our next session, our concluding session, 
we'll continue with our topic, Genesis and End Times, and we're going to have a very exciting conclusion. Our three topics there will be tools for understanding language, how to interpret the book of Revelation. We'll have an incredible beginning, and we're going to finish with a very incredible ending. Thank you, and God bless. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.